Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on September the 2nd, 2010. At the start of the show I always get the pitch over with that I don't bother you with the pitches throughout. So I tell you to go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, that's my website. Bookmark all the other sites you see listed because I do get some of them pulled once in a while. And if you have them listed, bookmarked, you can always download the latest shows. And there's hundreds and hundreds of talks up there that I've put up over the years for free download. And remember that you're the audience that bring me to you. I could bring advertisers on. I could bring on guests who would pay to get on and so on. But then I'd really be kind of fooling you in a sense. And that kind of negates the whole purpose of the show. So I depend upon you, the listeners, to try and keep me going by purchasing the books and the discs and so on I have for sale or donating to me. Now, from the U.S. to Canada, remember, you can purchase the items with a personal check. You can also use an international postal money order from your post office. Cash is okay. And PayPal for donation or for ordering as well. If you want to order anything through PayPal, just send the PayPal in a separate email afterwards with your name, address, and the order, and I'll get it right out to you. Now, the same across the rest of the world. You also have MoneyGram and Western Union and a lot of countries. Uh, Western Union tends to be a bit steep with its charges. Uh, MoneyGram's a bit cheaper. Some people still send cash, and you can also use PayPal to donate or to order. It's all up to you. And if you go into cuttingthroughbase.com, you'll see how to order and the prices and all the rest of it. The books I write are different from the, the usual stuff because Lenin and other ones said that history is bunkum. It's, it's nonsense, basically. It is. It's always written by victors, and it's written by private organizations, just like the Royal Institute of International Affairs gave the whole British Commonwealth its history for the last 150 years, basically, even before they had that particular name. They were writing the school books, so you would all get brainwashed into a fake past of glory and all that kind of stuff and equality and fair play. Nothing has changed, of course, because you, you live in politics, a political world where you do have private organizations, incredibly powerful, who manipulate events, world events, and then they make sure their own historians will write the politically correct version for the future uh, students to read. That's so, it's so simple, really, isn't it? It's not difficult. When you look into the school curriculums and look at the mandatory textbooks, it's always been the same two or three main suppliers to make sure that it's all the same stuff. Everyone gets taught the same nonsense. Just as like the, the what we're living through today, which is fantastic, really, a massive change in a whole culture into a Borg society, basically a controlled society, uh, an authoritarian society as well. They said it must be so. Democracy is out the window in a post-democratic post society. It's too slow, cumbersome, they said. And authoritarianism has been taught by experts. You've been trained to listen to anyone who's called an expert, you see, who's presented with authority 
on authoritarian TV or news or scientific broadcasts or something like that. It's so easy to do. In the ancient days, you used to use priests. You know, special priests would come up and talk to the people, and you'd obey because he was a high chutzpah, and you were the mere nothing, and nothing has really changed today. It's the same stuff, really. Big agendas, and we don't have much of a say in the whole thing. As I said yesterday, the government has morphed so vastly out of our reach, you can't reach them. And you can't get to any top departments and complain about anything anymore because you go through this myriad of bureaucrats down below, level, level after level after level of bureaucrats and departments, and you're around in circles because, as I say, it's not meant to serve you. It's there to serve the powers that be and the big international corporations that Quigley said make up the new feudalistic system. They call it public-private partnerships. And you've been under it for an awful long time. The private partnerships are with international corporations, which technically, and I think they are, really all one big corporation at the top. But you've got the appearance of competition, which puts you at ease a little bit. Now, I say buy the books, donate, keep me going because it's expensive to do what I'm doing, and it's incredibly time-consuming. You, you gulp your dinner as you're on the computer, and that's not good for you either, as I well know. But uh, that's what has to be done because we're going through such immense, incredible changes. Most folk are adapting, as, as Darwin said they would. Uh, they actually know how to put it across to people in the new changes. They train the youngsters to think everything's quite natural, and they do. And they're also programmed to accept the next part and the next part, which is buried in their subconscious, even from as early as, as kindergarten school. Ideas were implanted for what they would face down the road. Scientific indoctrination is, is, is the process. It's not just for children. Once you leave school, it's continued with magazines. The world of fiction is very big up there in predictive programming. And movies nowadays, everyone's visually orientated. They can't read a book right through, most folk. And so the video comes into its own. And it's interesting, too, that if you even want to take, take it over on the Patriot side, you have to, you'd have to really adapt and, and copy what they're used to watching on television with the sudden movements from from sight to sight and, and face to face, no more than two seconds at a time. That's how the children are trained with cartoons. If you miss it for three seconds, um, you look away, you've lost the thread of what was being said or the plot. And that's really the only way. You, you'd have to use the conditioning process that's been used on them to make any headway. And, of course, you'd never get the kind of financing, never, professional financing and professional production that the big boys can give them and do give them. It's so vast, so incredibly vast. We take most things for granted. As I say, we're taught to be egocentric, as Bertrand Russell said, we would be trained to be, and narcissistic, where the world revolves around me, you see. Most folk, unfortunately, once again, are like that. doesn't matter what class they're in or socioeconomic area they're into. They all think the world revolves around me, and I'm going to be okay. And when homeland security means they're taking rights away and so on and intruding, well, they don't really mean me, and if they do, they'll find nothing because I'm good. I'm good. To find good, to me, in a society which is based on 
moral relativity. Define good to me. You see, good is whatever they tell you is correct at the time. And it could be the opposite tomorrow or next week with a stroke of a pen, with a law. And most folk, again, just like Orwell's characters in 1984, will immediately adapt into the new normal because the group doesn't like to be left out. You're part of the group. You know, you'll stand out and they might look at you and go, you see. So everyone likes to be part of the big group. And that's the problem with society. They get, they're all ready for communitarianism. I've done shows on, on that and some of the history of it too. There's big uh, sites up there uh, with umbrella organizations all attached to the United Nations funded by the big foundations to do with the coming. And it's all getting, getting implemented already. Uh, the communitarian society. George Bush Sr. was the first one to publicly mention it in a high position in an address to the American people. Communitarianism. They didn't want to say communism, you know, people, some people had some memory of what communism was. Most folk today probably don't, so they could, they could now use it, I suppose, nobody would really mind that much. I've even met school children who talked about communism and they thought it was a fantastic idea. That's what they've been trained in school to think. A fantastic idea, you know. They have no idea the mass slaughters that went on. They have no idea of a small clique ruling uh, roughshod over a whole massive population living like kings at the top. Well, the people down below had to scrabble for everything 10, 11 years to get a telephone put in your house after you applied, that kind of stuff. Having to bribe people in hospitals so that the nurses would change the, the sheets that were sodden off your loved ones, that was common too. And it's not just hearsay. I know people who went over to visit in Poland and Czechoslovakia and other countries as well, that they bribed the staff to do that. And that's all coming here, folks, under austerity, you see, because austerity means corruption. And the reason it's corruption is because you're corrupt at the top. Your systems are totally corrupt. The ones at the top belong to the biggest gang in the planet, under the United Nations. They all belong to the Council on Foreign Relations, and they are the new feudal system, the overlords. The ones in the big corporations that are partnered with them are the bigger bosses than the politicians down below as quickly said they would be. And with this new system that you're getting trained into, you don't, um, it doesn't matter who you vote for, of course. Uh, they'll put any little actor out in front of you. They have been doing that for decades. And the agenda is quite clear for uh, the countries they want to take down. The few that are left have held on to their own cultures and still believe in having a nation, a little of nationalism to protect the people. It's a natural instinct. You see, if you have a family, you want to protect the family. The extension of the family is a tribe. And the extension of the tribe is a nation. When it's all destroyed and the war between the nation and the family is completely over pretty well. For those who don't know yet. Uh, that it's, it's, it's mission accomplished. For the big boys, really. And they're hammered, they've hammered globalism into everyone. Think local, act global and all that stuff or think global, act local. Uh, all these little slogans that were made by Madison Avenue, they're paid big bucks for doing so to get all these little ideas in your head as they push on a greening agenda, which is going to reduce everyone to bare bones survival. 
across, the, except for the ones at the top, of course, the ones who are implementing it. Those at the top don't see themselves as, as psychopathic um, people. They don't see themselves as um, doing anything wrong. They believe they're in their rights. They believe they're the guardians of the planet being superior to everyone else. And the reason is self-evident. They claim they are at the top and you're at the bottom. That makes it right under the Darwinian codes. As I said, trying to get in touch with these guys is impossible. It was the same in the Soviet Union. Yeah, technically they had all these different complaints departments and bureaus, but you entered them at your own risk because they don't like you coming in there. Now they've got your number, and you're a complainer. In the West, for a long time, we were humored. We had lots of humoring given to us when we complained about things, and a little act and a frown of seriousness when they'd say, well, look into that for you, and all that stuff. But nothing ever happened. The agenda steamrolled ahead. Now, I've, <laughs> I've watched this, and I've lived through an awful lot of this agenda, and there's nothing to beat personal observation. You don't really need the books to see what's happened if you've lived a bit longer, and even to see what's happening today. All you have to do is take what's happening today and say, where is it projected to go? What's it, how is it obvious? To, where is the direction it's all going in? And you don't have to wait for the big ones to come out at the top and tell you. They're not going to until it's over and done with. You can see where it's all supposed to head. And people who ignore the United Nations and can't be bothered wading through, and I, I know it's tough and difficult, wading through the piles and piles and piles of treaties and laws and regulations that they've put out since the end of World War II. If you don't wade through them, you won't know what's going on. It's, a, it's a, a form of double think when people think they have a nation, they still have a nation. It's double think election time. Uh, and in comes the guy from the other party, and you kicked the last bunch out because you can't stand what they've done. And you were hopeful for them at the beginning too. That's why you vote them in. It's hope, really, isn't it? And it's also disdain for the last bunch that lied about all their promises. And think things get worse and worse. And you get more global. But... It's a double thing because they do that. And then then during the, the once the, the, the new guy is in, you see treaty after treaty after treaty being signed by the new guy via the United Nations. Once in a blue moon, they'll put a little bit in the newspaper. It doesn't mean anything to anybody the way it's phrased, a one-liner, a two-liner. And, um, and it's meant to be that way. You're not supposed to be informed about what's truly happening, this integration system. Here we have it where countries which have declining populations, and that's the Western countries, have to really um, bring in massive immigration, they say, to pay off for the national debts. Now, I don't know anybody personally who ever caused the national debts. The only ones who seem to keep borrowing and borrowing are the guys at the tops of governments, and nothing is put towards the people. Should they do this? Should they not? It's never. There's no plebeian vote here. There's no consultation. And yet, 
in so-called primitive tribes, anything major that happens or is going to happen to the tribe, they have to sit and debate it, and everyone must get their word in, and they must all concede or deny what's to happen as a motion. We don't even have that, but we think we're civilized. We think we're better than the primitives. We think that we're better because we get to vote. You get to stick your hand up or mark your X, you know. For some somebody you've never heard of before, before they were put forward for you to pick from. They're approved by the big establishment. And you go and do it anyway. Because why? They tell them, you know, promise them this, promise them. This is what's on their minds. The polls all say, blah, 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 promise them this, promise them that. And see, once they're in, they're off signing all these international treaties that are legally binding. And then they're implemented right down to your local level from the federal level. And folk wonder why they have so much interference from the local governments now to do with, oh, my sustainability. Sustainability. I read the article from the United Nations website because so much of the the patriot community was watching what they were up to, and their own site, the United Nations, advised them to start changing the names so they wouldn't get spooked when they saw Agenda 21 come into their local area. So all you have to do is do a search on sustainability. And you'll see all the different branches of the same beast involved in your local area. They also don't want private property down the road. And they're going to use rental control even as a form of punishment if you're bad. The Internet itself, of course, which will be doing all your banking, everything, will be censored. And it's all will be cut off to you if you're bad again, politically incorrect. And who said that? And when was that said? Well, basically, Bertrand Russell said back in the late 40s that a new type of money would be issued. Money is just a, a tool for the, for, that we must believe in. And he said it would be called a, a form of credits from the government to each individual. Every week, you couldn't save it up, so if you hadn't spent it all by the end of the week, you started off at the same amount the, the following week. But also, you'd have to pay rent, and of course you're going to pay for all your privileges and your fees and your carbon taxes shortly just for living. Uh, you won't be able to pay anything, even buy your food, if you're cut off. That'll all be done through the Internet. And he said that'll be used as a form of punishment and for social control. Social control is very important. We have a, an addiction for gadgetry. Man is a a creature that survived with the use of tools. However, many of the tools we've made um, are pretty dangerous. Some of them seem benign. We had the television, and like Skinner said, if you want to alter a society and behavior, you put something into their environment that wasn't there before. And by goodness, did that ever change society? Didn't that ever change the family and destroy it? Didn't that change how the youngsters would behave? And conditioned us all, too, to respect experts, experts, experts. That, again, like, like Lord Russell said, people can't do anything without the advice now of an expert. And we adapt. 
Back with more after these messages. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, just going over some often forgotten little truths because we tend to ignore the big picture when we're given lots of um, daily media of disasters or, or possible disasters or possible plagues coming in, possible this, possible that, and occasional oil rig and stuff like that, stuff that's been happening along forever, basically. And we tend to forget, and that's part of the reason you're given all this stuff, is to to sidetrack you. Now, every government has got uh, representatives, sometimes a board of them, employed full-time to go to the department that they work with at the United Nations for their particular area. The, The UN has equivalent departments of all national government departments. All of them, building everything. And they work with them, and then they come back and they get the treaties signed into law. See, they bypassed sovereignty a long, long time ago. That was the intention of it. And everyone who signed the declaration at uh, the United Nations in San Francisco for all the countries, they knew that. They wrote about it at the time. Escort Reed was one guy in Canada who put his own book out. As a, it was an awful title even. It was, um, I think it was uh, a Canadian diplomat at the United Nations, or memoirs, blah, blah, blah. And he lived in Toronto. He helped draft up the, the charter for the United Nations, along with Alger Hiss. He said in his own book, he says, make no, no mistake, our goal is world government. And it was quite open about it back then, these people. And they wanted not just world government, but a, a, an expert-led world. They did not believe in basically putting in your own people into governments who would fight and bicker and have differences of opinion and all the rest of it representing the people. They wanted literally an efficient, non-democratic system. They said it was time for experts to rule the world. And that's all you get today as experts, experts with their fake climate um, uh, projectors and, and projections and that kind of stuff, you see. They can get things done then. And they can also claim most of your money and more and more money to, to fulfill their programs. They also, remember, want to distribute the wealth across the world. They've been doing it for years, really. Now they want to step it up. Now these people go on about Africa, the United Nations, and poor Africans and all the rest of it. And all oh, they're so, so worried about the women there. They need to get special education for women. Yada, yada. These people are the biggest eugenicists you'd ever meet. They're the biggest racists you'd ever meet. An elitist you'd ever meet. Some of them are black themselves at the top. They believe in Darwinism. And when you believe in Darwinism, you don't necessarily even have any, any connection to the people you were born within. And people don't get that. It's pure elitism. And they do believe in culling off the unfit, those who are too many. I, I don't see them putting the factories into Africa. You knew years ago they weren't going to build Africa up. And it's been more money pulled, pushed into for other projects. 
And what money does go in goes to international corporations who set up over there as a secondary or third base. But we're living in such deception because, remember, we are the children. And that's what they say. Well, you can't talk to the general population that they're children, really. Look at them out there with their tattoos and their rings hanging out their belly buttons. And, you know, you can't tell the prostitutes from the normal women anymore. They're all dressed the same. They're all watching music television. They've been told to... Well, basically what's happened is that they've fixed our, our growth, our maturity. You're fixed about the age of 15 for the rest of your life. That's how it seems. I'm not kidding either. That's how people are fixed. The guys are the same. Sports, sports, sports. Till the day they die, they're watching sports. They're watching international corporations that own massive sports teams where guys are paid millions of bucks each per year for throwing or kicking a ball around. Something children do. Something you grow out of as you grow up. And they knew they'd do this because H.G. Wells talked about it a long time ago. You see, when you take away your manhood, you you, you only project it through someone else. Someone else who pretends at a weekend to be your tribe and he's fighting someone else. Because in your own life, you have no power at all. And you're putting on that fat gut with all the fast food you you eat and and the booze you drink. But there you are. Suddenly you see yourself as a warrior for the weekend. What a joke. What a joke. Everyone's been manipulated by science and scientific indoctrination, including their whole psychology. That's the big part of it, the biggest part of it at all. Of all. Now, there's an article I read in August, and it was, it was from Activist Post. It was about 10 signs the U.S. is becoming a third world country. And they, they went through, it says, um, by every measure, the U.S. is hanging on by a thread to its first world status. It's actually over. I've read another article actually showing you that. Saddled by debt, engaged in wars on multiple fronts with a rising police state at home, declining economic productivity and wild uh, currency fluctuations all threaten America's future. They give you the, the general descriptions of the ranking system for world status date, and it goes back to the 1950s. That's when they put up these guidelines for the IMF and so on and have included countries at various stages of economic development and decline. We'll read some of them when we come back from this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. Just going through what's happening in the world, the the, the real world. And you've been run by the United Nations and its massive uh, infrastructure that's beneath it for your whole lives. And every major law that's passed in the books of every country, from uh, employment equity to uh, priority hiring to building codes, electrical plumbing, all that kind of stuff, everything comes out of the United Nations. Everything. Food laws, everything. 
and folk don't even know it. They get, they get sidetracked by the oohs and the ahs. What's the oohs and ahs? The oohs and ahs are those things that the media puts out to scare you for a day, and it's forgotten the next day. There's thousands of them. If you want to scour the world, you find thousands of them. But they never explain why things are happening to you and your countries and so on in the long term. They never explain that at all. Now, here's some of the signs of uh, a country in decline going to third world. Rising unemployment and poverty. Unemployment numbers, food stamps, and home foreclosures continue to reach new high records in the U.S. elsewhere. The ugly reality of those numbers was recently on display when 30,000 people showed up to apply for public housing in East Point, Georgia, for 455 available vouchers. Fights broke out, people were fainting from the heat while on the line, and riot police showed up to handle the angry poor. It reminds me of Soylent Green. Soylent Green was written and put out and pushed and promoted and paid for by the big boys to scare you into overpopulation and what would happen and all the rest of it. Because the actual title of the book version was Make Room, Make Room. But in the, the movie form, Soylent Green, they show you these massive kind of bulldozer things, massive things, um, just shoveling up the people who are rioting in the streets over food. Nothing is new under the sun, you know. It's all predictor programming. Number two, economic dependence. The U.S. finished 2009 with a debt-to-GDP ratio of 85%, according to the IMF, another, you know, private corporation uh, owned by the, the international bankers and under the United Nations, set up along with the United Nations as a part of it, but it's private. The, so is the United Nations, by the way, is a private corporation. The current trend projects the United States to finish 2010 at 94% and 2011 at 98%. The 90% level has become the IMF's make-or-break point for countries hoping to grow, to grow their way out of debt. If the government debt load climbs above 90% of GDP, economic growth slows so much that growth is no longer a viable solution for reducing the debt, and the IMF insists then on austerity measures. That's what they insisted on Britain, the U.S., Canada, and other countries. It's already happened. But but it falls right in with the agenda, doesn't it, austerity? Isn't it odd, too, that when you're down and out and you're you're hungry and afraid, um, the Millennium Goals for Agenda 21, and look that up, too, Millennium Goals. That's another part of Agenda 21, one of its many names. And look at the recent meetings. You'll find it on Google there. Just do a search Millennium Goals, and you'll see the recent speeches made and all the contracts that have been signed, the trees been signed by your local and your state governments and your federal governments to bring in even more taxes on you uh, under the guise of environmentalism and uh, sustainability and all the rest of it. Why would they do that when you're already down and out and just hanging on? It's because you, you don't understand it's all part of the one big agenda. See, this is a century of change. Change. Post-consumerist society where most of your disposable income will be paid in fees and carbon taxes and all the rest of it. You'll pay for the privilege of living. And I'm not kidding, by the way. Three is declining civil rights. Everyday freedoms, this is for the third world status, everyday freedoms are often the casualty of a society in collapse as the anger of the populist monks in response to declining economic conditions and political corruption the government counters by increasing draconian measures that restrict the political rights and civil liberties of its citizens. Well, that's already happened.
America is becoming a country like China, which is one of the lowest scores, according to Freedom House. In America, private discussions and movements are monitored. Free speech is corralled. The freedom to assemble for protest is by government decree and independent thought that questions the political system is increasingly looked upon with suspicion. Yep, you must all conform in a post-democratic society. And by the way, they know how to use those around you to turn against you, the ones that all like to be the same as the rest. Because they did it all in China. Social approval, social disapproval, that's what they create. A final indicator is when the government insists upon secrecy for its own actions. We've got that too. We don't even know what they're up to most of the time. While new laws and systems are created to put the individual under nearly constant surveillance, it will be constant surveillance. That's where they're heading. They've told us that. Four is increasing political corruption. When political corruption becomes accepted norm, as opposed to the exception, then it's a good bet your country resembles the third world. Congress and all major institutions face a growing crisis in confidence. That's what they call it at the top. You've got a crisis in confidence. That's where the light see that we can't cause a crisis in confidence if the scandal breaks. Where a record low, 11% of the population believe Congress is doing a good job. And now it seems obvious to all observers that big corporations directly control the agenda in Washington, much like typically corrupt third world countries. And that's true. You go into third world countries, even in Iraq, wherever they go in for their war reasons, and there's the big boys from the international corporations running around grabbing all the, the wealth of that country and minerals, oils, and so on with their own private armies. And the UN doesn't say boo to that. It's all part of it. There's also an article, too, I'll just mention at the moment uh, in the British papers a few days ago, where all the present politicians in Britain, just like the last lot and the lot before that, um, are taking money from lobbyists. So you have normal corruption, you see, with politicians. They're a corrupt type anyway. They're going for that kind of work. And uh, that's how the whole system works. They get the they bribe because you see the contracts that governments can hand out, federal governments can are in the billions and sometimes trillions of dollars, depending on the size of the country, big dollars. So the bribes are, are pretty fat and hefty and come on. They come in brown paper bags. That Brian Mulroney admitted that and we had a trial, a hearing in, in Canada. We had these hearings and inquiries where politicians at one point after the the, the fake uh, Quebec separation crisis was over. Uh, so many of the politicians admitted they were given these brown, plain brown envelopes coming, getting slipped under their doors every other night, stashed, stacked with cash, taxpayers' money, cash. That's been going on forever. So it says, um, military per- patrolling the streets, the rise of a militarized police state is a hallmark of most third world countries particularly in times of rapid economic collapse. America's declaration of the war on terror has created a constant threat to national security that has allowed for the military to be deployed on American soil. Building upon the war on drugs, this has created a fusion between military and local police where military-grade weapons and tactics are being used against American citizens in a cascade of violent confrontations over non-violent offenses. Military checkpoints are moving further inland, away from the meaningful border control functions. And that's true, by the way. The, the U.S. Uh, Coast Guard now, uh, I don't know if they went further than it, but they, they moved into 50, 50 miles inland all around the U.S. border. And I think they're expanding even yet. That was a couple of years ago they started that. 
So military checkpoints are moving further inland, away from meaningful border control functions, and a full-blown military presence in American cities has been planned by the U.S. Army War College. They have actually done simulations on this, and all the stuff is there to get them right out at the right time, very fast and efficiently. Failing infrastructures. 46 of 50 states are on the verge of bankruptcy. Cities are going dark. Asphalt roads are returning to the Stone Age. And nationwide budget cuts are leaving students without teachers, supplies, or a full-time education. These are common features one will see as they travel through the poorest of third world countries. I knew that years ago. It was obvious what was coming up. And a disappearing middle class. During the last presidential debate season, they argued that a family income of $250,000 was solidly middle class. Well, census data showed less than 15% of families make over 100000 and only 1.5% of families make over 250000 The income gap between the rich and the poor has increased at a staggering pace, while more middle class folks join the ranks of the poor every day. Uh, cavernous income gaps may be what third world nations are best known for. Eight is devalued currency. That's inflation. They call it quantitative easing now. It's like someone with a bad case of gas that's trying to get off their seat. And it says um, the value of the Federal Reserve notes, U.S. dollars declined 96% since the inception of the Federal Reserve in 1913 because really that's how it was designed to go with compound interest and borrowing. So the, the purchasing power has declined 96%. The value of the dollar is based on its supply and circulation and, to a lesser extent, the demand for those dollars. For the last three years, the money supply has spiked literally off the charge. It can be argued that the dollar has become America's top export as a world's reserve currency. And if the volatile dollar is scrapped, which the UN IMF now suggests, then demand will plummet, killing the currency. Nine is controlling the media. Uh, Government-influenced media that censors information is a key component of third-world countries. In some countries, it's openly owned by the state. In America, privately owned major media is not as balanced or as diverse as it seems. never was, actually. The concentration of ownership has led to censorship when national and corporate interests have sometimes overlapped. The persecution of high-profile investigative journalists, such as WikiLeaks, is set amid a backdrop of the proposed Internet censorship of bloggers who wish to remain anonymous. The end of net neutrality creates a play-to-play system that can lead to further corporate and government control of information and opinion. Cybersecurity initiatives are the final nail in the coffin, as entire free flow of information can be vetted in a China-style system of identity management. That's exactly what uh, Obama's proposed, actually, your own Internet identity to sign into anything at all on the net and for your banking and anything else you do. On the street, the police, state, and media control have converged in the recent rise of arrests for those who videotape the police. This is a huge blow to First Amendment rights and the role of photojournalists who wish to document public police behavior. So, there you go. The next one, of course, is capital controls. Many nations have enforced capital controls as their economies collapse. We already had that happening in Argentina, of course, before a few years ago, and then Venezuela as they sought to keep the remaining wealth within their borders. The SEC already has adopted policies to allow money market funds to suspend withdrawals during a financial crisis, while the recent HIRE Higher Bill, HR 2487, puts restrictions on Americans moving capital to foreign countries. 
Some economists suggest the national debt has gotten so high that the government must now force investment of private capital into U.S. Treasury debt. So this goes on and on. I'll put this link up, by the way, at the end of the show, com, and you should look into it because it's it's got all the signs there. They're not new at all. They're, they're very well-tested signs we've used down through the centuries with other countries, and it's on the cards to bring this equality. You're not going to understand what they're talking about when they see equality at the top. They don't mean that they want all the Africans to have exactly what you've got. On the contrary, they want you to come down too closer to the African standard. I'm not kidding about this. I really am not kidding about this. They tell, I read the articles that are night and, and bits from some of the big high hootspahs up at the United Nations and Maurice Strong and so on, and they say there can never be another U.S. The best thing they said they could do is dismantle their infrastructure, dismantle the factories, dismantle all their, their, their ability to prosper because it's bad for the environment and it's bad for man. Why? Because you see, when we're happy and we've got money, well, guess what happens? They say, we breed. No kidding. No kidding. See, that's what's behind most of this stuff. And for over a hundred years, elites have gathered to talk about scary scenarios and how they would survive. They already came to the conclusion they couldn't save everybody. So with the available resources at their command and science and tax money, how could they survive for themselves? That These meetings go on all the time, and they're updated at every global meeting that they have for themselves. Just to let you know. Now, it's really something. About a month or so ago, and I've warned you so many times about how as you munch away on your fast foods and your familiar takeouts are always there, you know, in every corner and across the country, and you think nothing of it, the thing you take for granted the most is food and water. Without it, you've had it. Without it, forget all the other arguments about anything else. You won't have time for any of that. You'll be starving to death, you see. And we've watched uh, the global, this global feudal system, as Quigley called it, and he was all for it, by the way, being their historian, comes from foreign relations. Uh, he said that the system will be run by, uh, the whole world will be run by a new feudalistic system made up of the CEOs of corporations. They will be the new feudal overlords. They've been that way for well over 50, 60 years. And... When they take over your food, as they have been doing, in the quiet wars, most wars are quiet, you don't even know they're happening. And they don't spook you by causing immediate shortages. They like you to have your usual brand names on your grocery stores where you, where food is made. You know, food just appears in grocery stores to most folk in cities. And I mentioned a couple of months ago how they were manipulating the stock market, the big speculators, now big time on all grains. How can you have a fair and equitable system where there's a massive profit motive, where you can hold stuff back to get the prices up and then release it, or do what they've done before? I don't even realize that the European Union dumps what they call uh, butter mountains and sugar mountains and, and potato mountains. This is what they call them. They dump them in the channel to keep the prices up. Well, the public don't decide on the prices, do they? Most of the farmers are quite happy. It's the government that keeps it this way. Food is awfully important, folks. And when they cut it off in the cities, you'll all be getting your little ration cards. 
you'll still think it's okay. You can turn on your television and you've got your quota for the day. You'll adapt very quickly. Most folk will adapt. Definitely. Very, the young will definitely adapt very quickly. Because you see, the young can't believe, and this is part of it too, that older people, that they still have, an, even though they've been taught not to respect them, they still do have this kind of thing that older folk wouldn't, wouldn't do that to them. They're there to take care of them. It's a natural thing for, for, for humans to take care of the young. So the young believe that. They believe that everything is put out there is for their own benefit, for, for their goods. And it's all been authorized by older people. And they obviously wouldn't harm them. Here's what happens here when they, when they manipulate your food supply. Troops clear barricades uh, as Mozambique riots persist. And uh, September the 2nd, uh, Mozambique's government's deployed troops to clear barricades in the capital as angry protesters blocked roads and looted shops on Thursday, the second day of riots caused by soaring bread prices. By the speculators. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix, just mentioning how the manipulators of the stock markets and the big profit boys, literally by holding up your food until the price shoots up or disposing of some of it by whatever means possible, even burying it, plowing it under, it gets the prices up and people suffer across the world. The United Nations, of course, says deadly squat because they don't really want, um, they've even said themselves, if you give them a food, they'll breed the beautiful United Nations with its sky blue uh, Masonic uh, color. But anyway, it's interesting to see that uh, senior Catholic Edmund Adamus blames the UK's moral wasteland on equal rights. He should have done his homework and and really looked into why, and I've mentioned it all in the show, the guys who created the culture for Britain and America, because he hasn't done it. And, And apart from that, of course, the Catholic Church has enough problems cleaning out its own closets as well which are kind of awfully you know, packed tight, it seems, because everyone was invaded too, and every priest has been brought up in the same degenerate culture as they go into the priesthood. So nothing surprises me, but what he says is true, the same parts. He says, a leading advisor to the Archbishop of Westminster has blamed abortion and gay rights for turning Britain into a selfish, hedonistic wasteland. That's exactly what Bertrand Russell said in his book, they would do at the top. And Russell sat in at the top, culture makers for the United Nations and the world, the Global Society, and the Royal Institute for International Affairs, and the Royal Society for Science. He was instrumental in designing this culture. And this is what you have, a selfish, hedonistic wasteland, which has become the geopolitical epicenter of the culture of death. So Edmund um, Adamus, Director of Pastoral Affairs at the Diocese of Westminster, Westminster and advisor to Archbishop Vincent Nichols said Parliament had turned Britain into a country which is more culturally anti-Catholic, which it is, than nations where Christians are violent and persecuted, such as our friends, I could put our friends in Saudi Arabia, China, our friends again, and Pakistan, that's kind of iffy, according to the big boys. His comments made with only two weeks to go before Pope Benedict's uh, historical state visit to Britain will cause embarrassment between organizers of the visit and government officials because they reveal how some members of the church's hierarchy believe that the pontiff is traveling to a hostile and anti-Catholic country. He gave an interview with Zenit, which is a Catholic news agency, 
with close links to the Vatican. He railed against five decades of equality legislation and the availability of abortion services in modern Britain. He doesn't mention the culture industry that promoted it all till youngsters are gyrating about the age of five and six, acting like little porn stars watching much music or music television. Whether we like it or not, as British citizens of this residence of the... Never mind all the rubbish that's down the right-hand side of this page that I'm reading, because that's your predictive programming. We're like Britain's citizens and residents of the country, and whether we are even prepared as Catholics to accept this reality and all it implies, the fact is that historically and continuing right now, Britain, and in particular London, has been and is the geopolitical epicenter of the culture of death. Well, ain't that the truth? The city. The city. The big banking city. The empire of finance, basically. And takeovers and wars. To bring in, mind you, the global society, which they say is going to be awfully good for us all. It certainly will be good for them. He says, our laws and lawmakers for 50 years have been the most permissively anti-life and progressively anti-family and marriage. In essence, one of the most anti-Catholic landscapes, culturally speaking, more than even those places where Catholics suffer open persecution. Actually, they're anti all of that because that's the big agenda that kept folk together and helped them stand up and fight for their rights. That's why. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.